warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am excited about this hour. Dr. Alex McFarland is going to be joining me in just a minute, and then Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association is going to be joining me as well. So it's going to be a lively hour. I hope you are having a great week, and I hope, uh, you know, with the weekend coming up, you've got plans to uh, get some things done that you need to do or get some rest that you need and that you get a chance to uh, spend time in God's Word and grow in your faith and share the hope that you have in your heart with others because we need to always, as believers, operate out of a sense of urgency that we don't have a long, long time. We have to take advantage of every opportunity we have. And I say that because my guest, Alex McFarland, does just that. He uh, does not rest. He takes every opportunity he gets and uh, and acts on it. So he's always uh, been a real inspiration to me. So let me take a 60-second break, and I will bring him on. We love hearing from Faith Radio listeners. It's easy to get in touch with us through the Faith Line. When you call 877-933-2484, listen to the greeting, and then press the number 1. Then leave a message for a show host or general manager, Neil Stavum. You can also ask a question about upcoming events, and the event coordinator will contact you. Or if you'd like information on a specific program, you can inquire about that as well, and the producer of that show or another staff person will get back to you. Another way to access program information is through MyFaithRadio.com. Look under the Programs tab for specific show information, including recent guests and topics. Again, the number for the Faith Line is 877-933-2484. That's 877-933-2484 or 877-93-FAITH. Give us a call anytime and leave a message to stay connected to Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Alex McFarlane. He's a speaker and a radio talk show host and amazing apologist, a defender of God's Word, author of 20-plus books, and founder of the Truth for a New Generation Conference, which is amazing. Alex, welcome back. Well, Bill, thank you so much. You're so gracious to have me on, brother. Oh, I love it. You know, and I've had a uh, last couple of weeks, I've heard this mentioned more than once, Can't We Just All Get Along?, and I was thinking of your uh, 14th book that you wrote called Ten Issues That Divide Christians. And I think when Jesus talked about there would be a crisis of faith, he wasn't talking about people outside the body of Christ. He was talking about within. And we have a problem getting along, and I would love for you to talk about that today. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's amazing how much um, the Church has suffered from attacks that came from without, but even compromise and erosion of faith within, you know. And so the Bible warns about this, that uh, in the last days men would have itching ears. And uh, I think about 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, that says that there will be a time when men will not tolerate sound doctrine, but with itching ears they will gather around themselves teachers to suit their own desires. Uh, the King James renders it, you know, will heap to themselves teachers after their own lusts, but gather around themselves teachers that tell them maybe not what they need to hear, but only what they want to hear. And and we're we're in a time like that, aren't we, when 
hard truth is just very often not at all tolerated. And if we're burning with biblical conviction, we should be strong, uh, yet gentle, and stand up for truth. Yeah. You know, there, there's a famous apologist named Peter Kreeft, K-R-E-E-F-T. Peter Kreeft is a brilliant thinker, and he's head of the philosophy department at Boston College. And he said, you know, most Americans would rather um, believe they're a good man and be wrong, even at the risk of hell, rather than being told they're a bad man and be right. You know, we we assume that we're good, we're okay, why can't we all just get along? You're okay, I'm okay, everything's good. And that might feel good to think that, but it's not the case. And the, the good news, yes, that Christ loves us and Christ died for us and whosoever will may come. But, Bill, the, the good news in a way is prefaced with some bad news. The bad news is we're sinners. And the worst news is sin will separate us from God eternally if we don't deal with it. But the, the bad news is eclipsed by good news that God does love us. And our sins can be forgiven. Christ has made that possible. But we have to humble ourselves, admit our sin, turn from it, and embrace Jesus. Um, you know, a, a doctor, if, if, if a patient has a terminal illness, uh, cancer, and, and the patient, unless there's radical treatment, the patient's going to die. But the doctor says, hey, you know what, I, I don't want to make waves. I don't want to offend this person. You know, I'll just set this. MRI aside and say, hey, hey, you're good. We'll see you in two years. That that wouldn't be a, doc, a good doctor. It would be very cruel. Um, and so I think the church, we're duty bound to tell people the truth, aren't we? Yes, we are. And I would love for you to comment on uh, John chapter 2 when there was uh, the time Jesus went into the temple courts and turned over the money-changing tables, and it's said in verse 15, so he made a whip out of cords. And I think, well, he walked in and either then started assembling this whip, or maybe he, I don't know, did he make it the night before, thinking, I'm going into that temple tomorrow and I'm going to stop these, this practice. Well, you know, I, I've wondered about that. Maybe there were some curtains. You know, there was the, the outer court, there was the inner court, and there was the Holy of Holies. You know, Bill, it's it's interesting. Um, profane, the word profane literally means outside the temple. And the people, the Gentiles that couldn't go to the inner court of the temple were profane. And, you know, bad language, cursing, is called profanity because profanity literally means something outside the temple, outside the holy area. And the inner court, uh, archaeologists found a tablet uh, that had the inscription, no responsibility can be taken for the probable death of any Gentile who goes beyond this point. In other words, you couldn't just reach into the or rush into the presence of God unprepared. And so there were curtains that partitioned off these areas. Maybe Jesus pulled down a piece of rope, a cord, and uh, fashioned it. And somebody might have thought, gee, you know, he's pulling a rope from one of these curtains. That's vandalism. Well, not really, because it was his property. It was Mm -hmm. his temple. 
And, you know, very famously on uh, the cross, Matthew 27, 51 through 54, when Christ died on the cross, John 19:30, he said, it is finished. He yielded up his spirit, died. And at that moment, Matthew 27, 51, the temple, uh, the curtain ripped from top to bottom. And so back to the question, you know, why would Jesus do something really radical like clearing the temple? He drives out the money changers because uh, this thing of the souls of people, I mean, this is serious business. And they, they were selling deformed, you know, animals that weren't fit for a sacrifice. And uh, rather than defraud people and um, corrupt the, the religious, you know, uh, I don't want to say system, but the, the activities of the temple that were prescribed under the Mosaic Law, uh, because these people were corrupting the souls of people for a profit, Jesus reacted radically and, and drove them out. Um, and I, I think the judgment of God is, is waiting those bill that today would corrupt the souls of people for a profit or mm-hmm. to, to guard their position rather than speak hard truth. Um, I, I want to say this. Our, our inability to speak hard truth not only imperils the souls of individuals, right now it's imperiling the future of our nation. And the preservation of our constitution, um, our inability. I mean, think about it, Bill. How could a country with three quarters of a million ordained ministers, how could we let abortion go on for now 47 years? The killing of babies. I mean, if, if preachers would preach about the sanctity of life, tell their parishioners, look, do not vote, never, do not vote for any candidate that's pro-killing of infants. Here, here's the litmus test. If your candidate believes it's okay to murder babies, then you will not vote for them. Um, Father uh, Maury in South Carolina back in October, do you remember how at um, Catholic Church in South Carolina, there was a priest that denied communion to Joe Biden. I do remember that, yeah. And he was asked, you know, how could you do this? He said, because any person that believes abortion is okay has a belief that's outside the church. And I, good for you, Father Morey, good courage, good conviction. We need some ministers and Christians like that again that lovingly but consistently will hold people accountable to truth. Mm-hmm. Alex, let me take a quick break. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. Go to um, alexmcfarland.com to learn more about him. We'll be back in 90 seconds. back. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. And Alex, right before the break, I, I enjoyed your illustration of the abortion. I, I think we're not united against it in the church. That's why I think there's a lot of people that are, that we're not speaking as one voice. 
But I want to go back to Jesus in the temple. And is that an example of righteous anger? Uh, I, I think so. It was righteous indignation. Okay. Um, and and, there, and let me say this. Um, there, There is anger in the sense of, you know, unrestrained emotion and maybe uh, an irrational action uh, against something. But Jesus... Of course, everything that he said and did was was appropriate and righteous and holy because uh, there is no sin in God. It's possible to sin through anger, but there is there are times in life for righteous indignation. And, you know, the Bible says be angry, but sin not. It's possible to be angry without sin. Jesus did that. And I think it's possible for us to do it. Now, I don't think we are to be you know, people that are of of a hair-trigger temper. Right. You, you know, uh, Proverbs 15 says that, um, Proverbs 15.1 says, harsh words stir up anger, but a soft answer turns away wrath. I think we need to be, um, you know, we need to be bridge builders and um, smooth out situations whenever we can. But the, there's a time when the fire of conviction musters up within us, you know, a line in the sand. And, Bill, I, I, I'm struck at how people in positions of leadership today really don't have a lot of moral courage. School administrators that cave in to militant secularists and and abridge the free speech and religious expression rights of students rather than stand up against the, you know, what what school administrators need to say to the ACLU and the people united for the separation of church and state and American atheists, when American atheists say, well, if you post the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, we, we just might have to sue. Well, how about principals and administrators say, well, you know, you do what you feel like you need to do. Sue away, but we're going to stand for the Constitution and the rights of citizens. Preachers, and and I've pastored three churches over the last 31 years, and I, I know the fine diplomatic line that ministers think they have to walk, but brother pastor, why not preach what the Word of God says? And life is sacred, murder is wrong, homosexuality is abominable in the eyes of God. Uh, read First Corinthians six. The unrepentant sinners will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Um, Jesus is not merely a way to heaven; he is the only way to heaven. And Bill, there comes a time, and righteously indignant or not, calm or impassioned, but there comes a time when we draw a line in the sand and we say, "This is right; that is wrong." And I, I think so many of our ministers are just milk toast, unable and unwilling to definitively say that truth is black or white. And therein lies a big part of our problem. Well, let's talk about righteous anger and how we're supposed to have that kind of righteous anger that Jesus had and be able to be people of biblical convictions and courage and say, I believe and trust completely in the authority of God's Word. Well, yeah. Uh, well, for one thing, the, the Bible, the Word of God, 
had this question this week, Bill. Somebody said, well, if Moses was a person, right? And I said, yes. They said, well, if, if Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, how can you say it's the Word of God? Well, God gave us his word through human spokespersons, uh, some 40 authors, Moses, David, Amos, Solomon, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, while human penmen wrote what God said, it was still the word of God, just as if the president were to dictate a letter to one of his staff, it, it still would have the full authority of the Oval Office, even though it was a staff member that penned it. If the words came from the president, it still you know, is, is his word. And so let's ask the question, could God give a message to the human race? Could God preserve that message? Could God open our minds so that we understand the message? And the answer is, of course. I mean, there's no logical reason to assume that God couldn't give a message to the human race. There's no logical reason. And I would say based on the manuscripts, history, archaeology, and not to mention the testimony of Jesus. You know, he said, John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. And then you've got Jewish, Greek, and Roman sources beyond the Bible that really corroborate what the Bible says about many things, not the least of which is what the Bible says about Jesus. I, I think we have compelling reasons to believe that the Bible is of divine origin, that the content is understandable, applicable for every person relevant to this day. And therefore, we look at the content of this book, and it tells us about eternity and life. And we, we should yield to what the Word of God says. So, Alex, how are you processing the uh, coronavirus? And I know you travel all the time, and you're touching strange surfaces every five minutes when you're on the road. The hand sanitizers in the airport. I use them. Well, you know what? I mean, uh, it's very sad. I mean, I, I hear there's a case, there's a school in Nashville, Tennessee, that they're doing a deep clean on because it was compromised by the storm. And um, let me just say, uh, we do need, do need to pray for this to be contained. i very sad that the bulk of this is there in China where it uh, originated. Um I do think, um, you know, I think it was Ari Fleischer once who said, never waste a good crisis. And the sad thing is, you know, besides the physical toll it's, you know, exacting on the lives of people, the sad thing is that that the, the liberals want the coronavirus to crash the stock market, to decimate America. That they, the sad thing, they are hoping that this takes maximum toll because they would leverage it to try to blame the president and see him defeated come November. So my prayer for this, obviously, that it would be contained quickly and that the loss of life would be minimal. But let me say, folks, um, it's not nearly as bad as the news media wants you to believe. It is not pandemic to the whole wide world. It will not be. And we need to keep our focus on the fact that our Constitution hangs in the balance. Um, Pence said it last June. The next election is about not just two different candidates, two different futures. Socialism versus 
a representative republic, free religious expression versus the outlawing of Christianity, the recovery of morals and natural law versus further descent into anarchy. Folks, don't be distracted. The coronavirus is not going to be the end of the world. Um, And I I believe we've been blessed with a president who is a constitutionalist, good foreign policy, good domestic policy, a great economy, the best jobs numbers for all Americans and certainly for minorities. And uh, we can't let our nation uh, fall further into anarchy whereby a new order is introduced that is socialism. We need to pray and keep on asking God to not only preserve the Constitution we do have, but restore the moral compass that's been over the last few decades lost. Mm-hmm. Alex, just got a couple of minutes left. How can how can I be praying for you? Well, God bless you. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, Sunday night, we have an evangelism conference that I'm leading in Western North Carolina at a conference center called Ridgecrest. So Sunday and Monday, I'm leading this evangelism seminar. But uh, Bill, uh, in June, Dr. James Dobson and I will be kicking off the Southern Baptist Convention Saturday night, June 6th. If anyone's listening and you're planning on going to Orlando to the annual meeting of the Southern Baptists, this session with Dr. Dobson and I, it will be open to all uh, Saturday night, June 6th. And I'm sure we'll, you and I will visit again. Oh, yeah, we will for sure. To mention that. Yeah, yeah. But folks, keep, keep us in prayer, and we deeply, deeply appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex, for doing the show. So great to talk to you. Have a great weekend. Did, did I, thank you, Bill Arnold. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. You can go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex. And also, uh, just a reminder for those of you who can make it to a live taping of the show, that's going to be March 26th. That's a Thursday night. It's actually the very first day the Twins play their 2020 season. They have an afternoon game, so we'll be all excited from them winning, right? And then we can file into the uh, the media center here over at the University of Northwestern. Dr. Uh, Peter Capster and Dr. Jim Bilby will be my guests. We're going to talk about uh, living in a post-Christian world. I think it's going to be a great night. So bring your questions, bring your Bibles, and we'll have a great night together. And we will record that show and air it, you know, at a later time. Not that much later, probably within a week. But uh, so that's going to be, again, Thursday, March 26th. Put it on your calendars. Go to MyFaithRadio.com to sign up for a ticket. Tickets are free. We just would love to see you. Take a short break. Be right back with Dr. Brett Nix. So glad to be welcoming back to the program Dr. Brett Nix. He is with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And if you remember last time he was on, we were chatting about how important it is to get sleep. And uh, it's still important to get sleep, but there's something else going on in the world right now that I bet you're slightly more interested in, and that is the coronavirus and all the implications uh, 
that in, that are surrounding that. So, uh, Dr. Nix, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back. And yes, uh, what a what an incredible topic, and amazing how much things have changed really over the last couple months. And it changes almost daily. I mean, you can you can say one thing, and the next day it's completely uh, different. So, um, right now, it seems that it's creeping into America, but we only have a handful of deaths, and there are people who have had compromised health conditions, and they're kind of concentrated in an area, which also happens to be two miles from where my niece lives in Kirkland. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's funny that you say that because I actually am originally from the Seattle area, and uh, a lot of my family still hail out west. So you can imagine right now there's a a lot of, uh, of concern in that area, let alone uh, across the U.S. and across the globe related to the coronavirus. And, you know, let's just take a second to jump back real quick because what's fascinating is that in early December, we were all getting ready for Christmas and preparing for the season. And then what did we find out late in December? We had a report that there was a concern for possibly a, a new virus. Uh, a 49-year-old, a 61-year-old, and a 32-year-old presenting to the hospitals there with a unique pneumonia. And because of the severe uh, respiratory syndrome, the SARS that we had before, uh, the individuals that were there in China said, hey, this looks familiar to SARS. What's going on? Uh, by January 7th, they had identified a new coronavirus. And during that time, as we saw, it became on the world stage. By January 30th, the WHO, the World Health Organization, said, hey, this is a global health emergency. Now, fast forward into March. It's on six continents. As of March 5th, yesterday, we have over 98,000 cases around the globe, now about 3,400 deaths around the globe, and as of yesterday, 233 cases in the U.S., but as you stated, a very limited number of deaths. And so really in the span of a two-month period, uh, something that was never discussed before in its new version uh, is now present. And so now we're having this conversation about coronavirus. Yeah, and it's um, creating a fair amount of hysteria, for many, and you start to see uh, travel restrictions and people canceling things and sporting events that they, they may just have empty stadiums playing, and, of course, that gets your attention, and you start to think, well, what's next? Yeah, no, absolutely, and, I mean, it, it's interesting. So what many people may not completely understand is we're talking about COVID, which is the new coronavirus. Coronaviruses have been around for ages, and there are four of them that are common colds that we analyze and detect within the U.S. And there have been three bad strains, this one being the third, SARS, the, the uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome from 2002 to 2004. Then we have the Middle Eastern version, MERS, M-E-R-S, which occurred around you know, 2010, 2012. And now the COVID-19, as we call this new beta coronavirus. And we're still learning about it. This is a couple months in, but what we do know is this. And this is something that people need to understand. Number one, people say, how do I get it? What is the transmission? What is the problem with this? And do I need to be concerned? It is just like most other viruses at this point. We know that it is caused by these respiratory droplets, people who cough or sneeze or have an illness, just like you would see with somebody who has the flu, your means of catching it. We also know that it can occur from contamination of things that we touch on the countertop around somebody who may be contaminated and then touching our face. Mm-hmm. The spatial exposure is quite fascinating because what most people will show if you look at the data is in the span of an hour, most people touch their face between 20 and 50 times without knowing. And so it's these simple things that we take in mind when we look at transmission. 
that are things that we do precautions for any flu season that are also related to what we're seeing with this new coronavirus. Yeah, um, I have washed my hands four times since we started this interview. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. What song did you sing? <laughs> well, I sang the happy birthday song, and I'm getting a little tired of it, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, it's funny that you say that, because we talk about people washing hands. Many times, people don't do it correctly. Number one, it's soap and water. Number two, it's for an appropriate duration. It's funny you say happy birthday, because they say, if you sing it at a normal pace, you go through it twice, that's about the duration. But what most people aren't thinking about is not just washing your hands, but you really need to get in around your fingers, your fingernails, and get those areas very, very clean. And that is true anytime you touch a unusual surface. You know, the one thing that most people forget about is when you're in common areas, opening up a, uh, a bathroom door when you're going in and out of a restroom or opening up a door into a public space, even at your house, the, the doorknobs. But I'll let you guess. What's the most common thing that people touch every day that forget to clean? What might you think that is? Uh, their phone. Their cell phone. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. And unfortunately, if you were to test that, there's a high probability because not only are you touching it with your hands, but you hold it up to your face. And you lay it down everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Dr. Nix, let me ask you this. Uh, I wish people were as hungry for salvation as they are hand sanitizer. Oh, man. Isn't that the truth? I mean, it's one you of those things where you can't find we, have it anywhere. Fear over things, we have fear over things that we can't control. We have fear over things that we probably shouldn't have fear about. But the thing that we should have the most concern and consternation about is where we will be at the end of our lives. Amen. And yet we don't spend the time to have that conversation. Amen. So let's, let's talk about hand sanitizer. How effective is yeah. that when it's 99.9% effective? Uh, is that good enough? You know, uh, hand sanitizer is a good go-between. If you're in a place where you don't have soap and water and you can't wash your hands, it is better than nothing, but it is not as effective as a good hand washing with soap and water for the appropriate duration. Uh, but does that mean that I'm not using it? No. I use it all the time. I use it between hand washings. I use it between patients. I worked in the overnight shift last night, and, you know, my hands aren't raw, but that's just a normal practice for me. It may not be a normal practice for somebody on a day-to-day -day basis, but if you're at home and there's nobody sick at home and you're not having any exposures, you probably don't need to use it as frequently. But when you're out and about, boy, uh, keep it on hand because it's so hard sometimes to find uh, a restroom or some other place where you can get a good hand washing. Yeah. Uh is there any kind of panic in the medical community or the medical staff that you work with? I'm sorry, is there any type of... Any kind of panic? Are you kind of business as usual because you guys always use the same procedures and, and you're just doing your normal, everyday routines? You know, it's a great question. I work in the emergency department, as I've said before, and one of the greatest concerns that we have right now is really around uh, the, not the preparation but what we saw back in H1N1, 2008-2009 with the swine flu, is the inundation of patients coming in that are really well, uh, and they're just concerned. And, and that population can easily decimate not only our resources, number one, but number two, as you may have heard in the media, there are substantial limitations to the protective equipment that we wear in the emergency department, the masks, the goggles, and things along those lines. Because of this ongoing uh, pandemic, the resources available that we would use on a day-to-day -day basis are very limited. And so the greatest concern within our workspace has to do more with having the availability, available things, number one, for patient safety, but also, number two, for our staff safety. You can imagine working in a hospital environment where all of a sudden, because we don't have appropriate protection equipment, the physicians, 
the nurses and the other staff in the hospital get exposed and then subsequently have to be home uh, on isolation uh, during the duration of a two-week period while they are either being quarantined because of illness or quarantined because of exposure. And so immediately you're now seeing health systems having dialogue about the threat of not even having enough staff to provide care. Mm-hmm. Dr. Brett Nix is my guest from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. I'm going to take a little break and I'll be right back with Dr. Nix. Show. So glad to have Dr. Brett Nix on my uh, guest line. He is an emergency physician. He also is with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And we're kind of getting an update on uh, some of the smart practices we can uh, use when it comes to this coronavirus. And is it uh, safe to say, uh, Dr. Nix, that as the weather warms up across the country, it is going to uh, help and make things better? Or is it going to have the same intensity that it has now? You know, that's a great question. We anticipate seeing that with the flu season. As we all know, we typically have seasonality with the flu, and as we start seeing warming temperatures, we end up finding that the influenza epidemics that we see, or at least the seasonality with influenza, will start to decrease in the northern hemisphere, and then, of course, it shifts to the southern hemisphere as they enter into their winter months. I'll be honest with you, right now, even the experts are hopeful that that is the same with the coronavirus, with COVID-19. But at this point in time, we really don't know. Uh, The anticipation is that we will probably see some level of decrease. um, But at the same time, there's a lot of speculation that this may be around like we have seen with the other coronaviruses uh, for maybe a year or so. We may see a decrease in the numbers through the seasonal months. But then coming next fall, will it jump from the southern hemisphere back to the northern hemisphere? Uh, Will it be around in a smaller degree and be present with us? Uh, and as we have seen in a lot of the literature from the epidemiologists through the CDC and others, simply stating that maybe this will continue to uh, evolve the virus and, and transform itself, and many times it ends up taking on a weaker form, and maybe it will exhaust itself in time. So to be quite honest with you, at this time, we're hopeful that the seasonality will decrease what we're seeing, uh, but at this time it's too early to say. Uh, if we could try to put this in a historical context, I think it was, and I don't have my facts in front of me, but I think it was 2006 we had the bird flu. Does that sound about right? So we, we've had several different types of flus as it relates to it. So let's put it in the context of what people might recall. Okay. Um, so when we, when we think about these, uh, these uh, different types of viruses that we're seeing right now, 
specifically with the coronavirus, and then we'll position it to uh, the influenza we see each year. This coronavirus right now is fairly contagious, and it is not, however, as contagious as SARS, which had a huge impact uh, in Southeast Asia back in 2002 through 2004. It is nowhere near as contagious as the MERS process that we have seen in the Middle East, which is very isolated and focused in that area. Uh, but it is, it is more contagious than we see for our annual flu. Uh, and based on the current data that we're seeing, they're saying that it's probably in the realm of one and a half to two times more contagious than flu. And that's based on these things where it is called an r naught, which is really the reproductive number that if an average person had the coronavirus, what are the number of individuals that will become contaminated because of that individual being present? And so they have all these statistical measures that look at it. So number one, put it in context, yes, it is more contagious than the flu, number one. Number two, when we look at it from a uh, mortality perspective, how severe is this illness as it relates to it? And when you look at the severity of it, we compare it to the other ones as well. When we look specifically at the SARS epidemic from 2002 and 4, it had a mortality rate of about 10%, about 9.4, 9.6%. So one in 10 individuals that got it would die. Mm. When you look at the Middle Eastern respiratory uh, syndrome, almost 34 to 35% of people die, almost one in three. So very, very severe illness. The data right now, when you look just in Wuhan, is suggested maybe 2.3%. But when you look globally, most of the experts are saying, you know, we really believe it's probably closer to about a 1% rate of mortality. So what does that mean in relation to the flu? A common seasonal flu has a mortality rate of about 0.2 to 0.3%. Now, H1N1, the swine flu that we had a couple of years back in uh, 2008 and 2009, had a higher rate than that. And we can all recall that it had a substantial issue globally. But what we're seeing right now is somewhere in that space where it's, you know, it is probably going to settle out from the severity and mortality less than 1%. However, what we have noticed in this population is that there really is a higher risk for individuals that are older, so geriatric individuals, and especially those that either have chronic lung conditions or chronic health conditions or immune suppression. And in those ones, many of them are succumbing to pretty substantial pneumonias, uh, and with that comes a higher risk of mortality. Hmm. So when the avian flu happened, uh, I don't recall there ever being any changes that I made in my lifestyle, or do I ever remember having conversations with other people who had changes in their lifestyle? That is not the case with this one. No, it's not. It's pretty fascinating. Like you said before, people are having travel restrictions within their places of employment. You're seeing conferences being canceled. You're seeing dialogue right now about the Olympics uh, upcoming this summer of, do we delay the Olympics? Are we going to have to cancel them? Are we going to have to make some other change? Uh, and at this point in time, the question for many of us in the medical community is, yes, this is new. Yes, this is globally present. Um, but the question is, is the level of severity of what we're seeing justifying the actions that are coming toward in the media uh, mm -hmm. and on a day-to-day -day basis? And when you look at the data that's out there right now, I think our, we have a tremendously heightened sense of fear uh, related to what we're seeing. But at the same time, it's mostly born, out, uh, born in uh, the lack of awareness, number one, being able to speak truthfully about it, the ability to identify 
you know, given limited testing processes. And when we look at that, the ability to have conversations about safely isolating episodes when they occur. And why is that? Well, let's look back over the last month or two. We have an episode that breaks out on a cruise ship, and then everyone is quarantined into, a, into an isolated space. Uh, we have episodes where one is identified and delayed in recognition because of testing processes that are now ramping up but were not before, and so you see high levels of exposures. And those are the things that are being pushed forward. But on a global scale, what we're seeing from a numbers perspective is across the entire globe, billions of people, we have about 3,400 deaths so far. Mm. Dr. Nix, if you were going to give us some uh, little wisdom from things that are being said in the media that just are a little exaggerated or not quite so true, maybe it's a little bit of a myth, what would be one or two things that would bubble to the top to calm listeners down a little bit? Uh, I think number one is that an ounce of prevention is essential. Okay. And we cannot overplay how valued washing your hands are um, and making sure that you know that you take the precautions with your phone and not touching your face. And again, if you come down with an illness, this is flu season. Uh, put on a mask uh, to protect yourself and to protect others, and call your physician. Uh, that doesn't mean run to the emergency department. It doesn't mean that you have the coronavirus. There are still many, many other viruses, and the flu is still rampant across the U.S. Uh, but that the fear should be waylaid because again, this is a viral process that should take standard precautions in place. Number two is have a reasonable response. What does that mean? Number one, as just stated, call your doctor, have a conversation. Number two, don't run to the emergency department because the emergency departments cannot test you for COVID anyway. These are done on the state level on a, on a case-by-case basis. Even though the statements have come out that everybody could be tested, that may be true, but we don't have the resources to do it uh, for every individual at this point in time. And the testing is not immediate. If you are a healthy individual that are not having things aside from maybe some fevers, some chills, the typical symptoms you would see for something related to uh, the flu, the evaluation for you will be to stay home and take some ibuprofen, to stay home and take some Tylenol, to make sure that you're well hydrated. The things that most of us are taught uh, related to having a cold and having a virus, but most importantly then is to make sure that you're limiting your exposure to those around you. And we don't hear much discussion about the 600 cases of people who are already fully recovered from this. Oh, absolutely. And actually, if you look at the data that's on there, those are a lot of the cases that have fully recovered of this. You're looking at uh, data across the globe, mostly from China, that of the 98,000 people that have actually been uh, exposed and confirmed, more than 55,000 of them have recovered and moved on. Right. And so... We, we, we're focusing on a very, very, very small subset uh, because, yes, this is new. And, yes, it is, it is causing associated death. But, again, if you put it in scale, we've had in the current flu season in the U.S. somewhere in the 20,000 to 40,000 uh, you know, death rate. I haven't looked at the exact numbers as of late. But it's not uncommon for us in a normal flu season to have that many numbers of deaths in the U.S. alone, not globally. And, you know, we are really at a very, very small number as it relates to the number of deaths associated with the coronavirus at this time. Yeah. And, Dr. Nix, it's uh, important, again, to not touch your face and mouth. And poor Dr. Sarah Cody, who is giving us some instructions and some uh, admonishment about doing that. I don't know if you saw that clip, but it was uh, 
she was telling us not to touch our face and mouth. And then she wets her finger with her tongue to turn the pages of her notes. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. <laughs> but Without that, even realizing. That's how conditioned we are. It's really, it'll take some discipline for us to change some habits of face touching because I think we do it all day long. Can't help it. It will. It will. And, you know, I mean, one of the things to be honest and to be real about it is it's still early in the process. We will have issues where we may have an exposure where a child is exposed to an adult that has uh, the coronavirus and may have a transmission to the school. May that lead to school closings? It's possible. Do we have event cancellations? Yes, we're seeing those already. Do we have travel restrictions? Yes, we're seeing it already. Do we have people that are self-quarantining to go ahead and eliminate further exposure? We are. It's a fascinating situation here in North Carolina. We have one case so far. Uh, That individual was exposed in Kirkland, Washington at one of the facilities there, came back and then heard of the announcement of that, and that was in their transition coming back. They they went to their home, they called their doctor, and they self-quarantined and said, I was at one of those facilities, I have no symptoms, but I'm going to stay here until I find out if I do or not. Three days later, they developed some symptoms, and they were tested, uh, not been hospitalized, have been able to stay home, but have had no exposure risks because of a calm process where the person was educated mm. about what to do and follow the guidelines that have been established. And really, you know, that person, in my mind, really should, should, should receive an award for doing what was difficult in the sense of what is being discussed on a daily basis socially, but at the same time did what was called to uh, as, as a great citizenship. Dr. Nix, I'm so glad you paid more int- more attention in school than I did. Uh, that's what makes you such a spectacular <laughs> guest on the show. I so appreciate your wisdom and your counsel and calming us all down. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And again, uh, this is something that's dynamic and changing. And uh, for those that are you know concerned at any point in time, really the best place to look is at a high-quality source. The CDC does a great job. Your state health departments will do the same. Uh, but most important thing is look at the precautions and look at the processes that they've put in place, and that'll keep you safe and those around you. All right. Thank you very much, and have a great weekend. Wonderful. You as well. Thank you you so much. Yep. Dr. Brett Nix has been my guest from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. That wraps up our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for supporting Faith Radio. And also another reminder, coming up on March 26th, a big Thursday night, not to be missed, be a live taping of Afternoons with Me. It's going to be featuring two of my faves, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Dr. Jim Bilby. We're going to be talking about life in a post-Christian world. So bring your questions, bring your Bibles. We're going to have a great night. Go to MyFaithRadio.com to sign up because the seats are going fast. I hope you have a great weekend. That's all until Monday. So let's ring the bell. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday.